Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is The Scratch, a four-piece from Dublin born from a shared love of metal and trad music. They released their second studio album, Mind Yourself, on November 3rd, a nine-track powerhouse of a record that we're talking through track by track today. They released Couldn't Give a Rats in March 2020. Gulp. And I talked to them around then on TPOE 167 if you want to delve into the podcast archive for a listen. I think it was one of my first interviews that I did during the COVID times, recorded on Zoom, obviously. Just getting the hang of that. But the growth of The Scratch since then has been amazing to watch. Touring around the world and playing with the likes of Dropkick Murphys and Flogging Molly, playing to heaving tents at All Together Now, I watch from the back agog at the energy at all corners of the tent. And The Scratch sold out Vicker Street for a couple of nights as well. I'm not quite sure where to file them in the growth of trad in the past couple of years. Indeed, you'll hear me struggle to articulate the question near the end of the interview. But they're doing something really special. They've got a real rapport with the audience, their themes touching on alcohol, mental health and death, among many others. I got to see them at Debarra's last Christmas in Clannacilty. It was their Christmas party after a long UK tour, and it was just wild to see the connection with the crowd. So whether it's a large gig or a small intimate show like in Debarra's, it's a special thing and not easily done. The Scratch are heading back to the US and UK in 2024, but before that, and before we ring in the new year, there are a couple of Irish dates around the country if you're desperate to see them live, and I would highly recommend it. December 22nd in the Set Theatre in Kilkenny, December 29th the Crescent Concert Hall in Drogheda, December 30th the Scratcher at Cork City Hall, a special non-profit show with the good folks at The Good Room. And on New Year's Eve, the big one, they're at Collins Barracks in Dublin with a great host of acts including TPOE favourites Ishbini Naharan, Kriya, Nyler Nine and Lemoncello among others. So coming up on today's episode, it's a bit of an interview in two parts as guitarist Doc talks us through the first 20 minutes and then co-lead vocalists Lango and Giordo, drummer and guitarist respectively, join in. Giordo is the deeper sounding talker of the two, so hopefully you'll be able to spot him when he comes in about 20 minutes in. We're listening to Tram 1, the harrowing song off Mind Yourself at the moment. But let's listen to the Scratches cover of the Pogues' Sally McLennan, recorded as part of Ireland 100, an old song re-sung, which you can still catch on the RTE player. It commemorates in performance, song, music, dance and spoken word the 100 years from 1923 to 2023, through the lens of Irish culture. How timely, sadly, that the Scratch did a song written by Shane McGowan. R.I.P. to a legend of music, to a legend of Irish music. Here's the scratch on the point of everything. Mind yourself. Well, Jimmy played harmonica in the pub where I was born. He played it from the night time to the peaceful early morn. He soothed the souls of psychos and the men who Jimmy didn't like his place in this world of ours Where the elephant man broke strong men's necks when he had too many powers So sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving And he took the road for God knows in the morning We walked him to the station in the song of times long gone and we knew that we'd be seeing him again sad to say I must be on my way so buy me a whiskey cause I'm going far away I'd like to think of me returning when I can to the greatest living 
So I saw you at Ireland 100, an old song re-sung mm. at the RDS. He did a very doomy cover of the Pogues' Sally McLernan. Is that just one that you had in your back pocket? Is that one that you practiced for that gig? It was uh, un- an unexpected kind of a version of it. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was in the back pocket. They had approached us and they had suggestions of some songs. And I think that was one of them that they were like, it'd be great if you guys could do that. And we were like, I mean, yeah, sounds good. I think they were expecting us to do... <laughs> the Pogues version. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I, 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 that's that's the buzz I got anyway, was they were they were kind of hoping for an uppy, like, Pogues-y style version of it. I don't know. That I guess, ultimately, that just didn't really... We weren't really comfortable with that, you know, trying to... Did you try it? Did you try it? Like no, we didn't even try it to be honest. Like Jordo, I think Jordo got inspired one night, and he went in and basically put the base, the basis of the arrangement together. And and I know, like he in the back of his mind, he was he was like, I just don't want to do the expected thing, you know. And I and also we don't want to try and replicate what the Pogues do. Like that's impossible. <laughs> so I think there was a couple of things, and then Jordo. That's just the, he just went down that rabbit hole with it and then he showed us like a real, he showed us a rough demo and we were like, oh, that's amazing. You know, it just, I think it was the the idea of doing something, just flipping the song on its head that much. And it kind of plays, I think it played into where we're at, at as a, a bit more as a band these days, you know, experimenting a bit more with sounds and dynamics and, and, uh, Maybe like the slow doomy thing was wasn't wasn't like as conscious a decision. It just kind of went that way, you know. And then we we uh, yeah, that that's kind of how it came about. And we were all just buzzing off it. And yeah, it took a while to get together. That was pretty ambitious arrangement. <laughs> like it was tough, like vocally and just how to structure it. And and uh, but it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun putting it together. And it was it was uh, it was very satisfying. Just I felt like it felt like it did kind of stand out a bit on the night at the very least and I think that was that was something we wanted to do is that kind of how you work anyway it's kind of like one of you goes away and kind of works on on a song and comes back to the rest and and shows I mean that that happens but also I guess in the in the case of like aerials when we did that version with the orchestra that was very much like a group in the room and we just kind of were trying different versions and you know, so that's that was a more collective thing, and but often, yeah, often it can just be more more productive if, especially if like someone, I guess in the case of an arrangement or a cover, it's 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 often more productive if someone just gets inspired and then you go, you just go go explore that, and come back to us with what you have, and then and then it a lot, and then we'll kind of flesh it out as a band, and a lot will uh, you know a good few things will change from the original but that kind of initial inspiration i often prefer when like one of the lads just gets inspired by it and they go and they get stuck into it because i think that's when often when the best stuff comes out you know so yeah i mean it is it is one way it happens but it's not you know it's not always that way sometimes as a group can be can be the best best approach as well uh, the new album is called Mind Yourself. Seems like kind of a classic Irish saying uh, as a goodbye. Is that just the main reason behind it? Is there any other reasons behind calling it Mind Yourself? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I, we just... It just it sat well with us. We had a couple of other titles floating around. And um, I think, yeah, we just... Just, just on a surface level, it just kind of... It sounded nice and it, I don't know, it evoked a lot of Irish imagery and you know nostalgia for us and um so we liked that but also some of the topics discussed on the album as well or you know i think it kind of sums up a lot of what we were going through at the time writing this album and maybe it's kind of a bit of a mission statement you know that's based loosely on on some of the the lyrics in on the album you know so it was a bit of a double whammy and Ultimately, it just was like, God, just that just sounds sounds right, and sometimes that's enough, you know, without getting too deep about it, you know. When was the album recorded? Was it during, dare I say, lockdown? No, we actually we we did the first session September last year, 
So we did, it. we kind of recorded it over the space of five sessions, I think. And each session was like maybe a week, just under a week. Some, some are shorter than others, but on average about a week long, we'd go up to the studio. So yeah, we started it last September and then finished it maybe like January. I think we did our last session like late January, early February. That was kind of the, the last thing we did. And then it just went for mix. You recorded it with uh, James Vincent McMorrow? Yeah, he How was. was yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I guess that was a very unexpected thing. How did it come about? It came about like he he had um, he had come across us. What was I can't remember how he he came across us, but oh no, it was it was it? No, no, it was the Ariel's thing. He invited us. He basically came across the band and invited us on. He invited us on to the that RT show he was curating with the orchestra, and we were like yeah sounds good and he was like we he wanted us to do it was like songs from your childhood is what it was called so we kind of we actually all grew up listening to a lot of the same music a lot of heavy music and new metal and all that kind of stuff growing up and he was like he really wanted us to do like a heavy a heavier tune so we were like yeah sounds good and we went on and did that and then after that he invited us over to london he was curating a show on the barbican in london and he invited us over to play a few songs on that and I think at that stage then we just kind of like struck up a bit of a relationship and I remember we went for a few drinks after that gig and he was just like you know I just love what you're doing and one thing led to another and it was, then it was just like do you want to just get in the studio together see what happens you know so that was that was the bones of how it came about and then we were kind of a bit like oh do we want I don't know if we want even is is a producer something we want is he the right guy is you know there was a lot of questions around it so there was a bit of like bit of feeling out that had to be done initially and we met him once or twice before getting in the studio and then ultimately we just got in the studio and and then in hindsight it was it was a really you know it was a very important part of the process and i think at that at that point a producer was something i think we really needed to to get us going on this project and to kind of get us over a couple of the humps we were experiencing so was it just musically he was involved was he involved kind of like lyrically shaping the songs honestly, or anything like that or honestly like and I, I was kind of surprised i'd say the majority of what he did was just psychological in a lot of ways <laughs> you know it was just like he didn't really want to get in, involved in the music do you know like he 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 very much let us do our thing and then there was like a couple of, you know, there was definitely a couple of things he was involved in, in, in writing some parts of some of the songs and stuff. And, but he would, it was always just like, if we wanted him to, you know, but at, for the most part, he just stood back and observed. And I think he, you know, we had a lot of, <laughs> I think as he called it, studio trauma uh, built up over years, you know, like of just being friends and in bands together and, maybe being a little bit inexperienced when it comes to the studio process and so he was his his main role was very much kind of getting getting us out of our own way and instilling confidence in us again because we had a we had a real struggle with our, our confidence was like super low at the time and we just didn't know what direction we were going in and so yeah it was it was a very unexpected role he played but actually a way more important one and 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 the role that we actually needed him for in hindsight you know musically you know i think we we have that covered you know and but in terms of like yeah psychologically at times and 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 confidence and just rewiring our our brains a little bit on 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 how to approach things and look at things with with different perspectives and that was just invaluable you said on Instagram before the album came out that one of the big goals in the early stages of writing Mind Yourself was to push the capabilities of the instruments we were using. We knew we wanted to step things up sonically while still staying true to what we've done before. I guess that's just what comes on like a second or third album, isn't it? It's just kind of like what worked on the first album and how do we push it in the next direction? Was it an easy thing to kind of like find that kind of pushing the capabilities of the instruments? No, it was 
it was one of the biggest challenges actually and i and probably in the early 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 days of writing the album was was a source of a lot of the doubt and a lot of the the kind of questioning around where we were going because i think everything we'd done up to that point and you know we were kind of just taking it was almost just like taking each day as it comes and 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 like each project as it comes and 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 that that kind of goes sonically as well and like in the back of our minds we were were never really fully satisfied with how we sounded on on record and and live as well you know it's it's like it it just it always felt like a constant battle doing what we were doing or the setup we had the way we were approaching it um so there, there was just always there's always something there that we were like this just isn't quite right yet it was trying to figure that out like what 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 isn't feeling right here what what isn't working here and so like yeah i guess in the early stage that was that was some of the first conversations we had were how do we like step this up how do we make this sound better and bigger and stronger and you know how do we make this make more sense to us you know because it's a very unconventional band and in you know in in a lot of ways we don't want to lose that you know, we don't want to just throw everything out the window and just kind of pick up electric guitars and a drum kit and just be that that kind of band. You know, there's many days where like we're like we that's all we want to do. But that was that was it. It was like, well, how do we like keep this setup but like take it to the next level? Really do something that nobody's doing with acoustic guitars. Let's make a cajon. Let's like take the cajon to another level and or you know let's just take what it is we do sonically to another level so that was but that was really hard it was really hard because you know there's a lot of there's just a lot of roadblocks there um like if you want to get technical about it it's like putting playing an acoustic guitar through a high gain amp what kind of pickup system you're using what you know we were we tried so many different pickups different configurations even the acoustic sound live like different pickups different we were like just constantly exploring exploring and and trying to find something that that we thought sounded good um and that was very frustrating at times and then mix into that the types of music the types of songs we were writing like you know like songs like blackguard and and banshee were kind of floating around and and we were, were just like is this is this the scratch you know like is this a totally different band and why are we trying to why are we trying to do this on an acoustic guitar like this would just be way easier if we just played this on electric (laughs) so it was like you can imagine the just the word the like just in like we were we were just so confused at times we didn't know what we were what to be doing you know so It's, it's just like rules you're setting yourself is it like we wanted to be acoustic guitar based even though we don't want it to sound like an acoustic guitar yeah i mean yeah and like putting it that way like i'd say we probably were setting too many rules right yeah you know and that was kind of that, that was, can be good and bad. yeah exactly yeah. i think probably the you know what a big takeaway from this project and is like you know fuck that <laughs> like who like we who why why not pick up an electric guitar like it doesn't matter do you have any lying around here or, or ah, yeah we yeah. have like you know and it's like you're well, just like, so tempted you have like itchy fingers yeah, like, oh, yeah. but, it but then it's you know but then there is a charm to you know i guess sonically another thing we you know just on that topic one thing we and one thing james kind of noticed one of the suggestions he had early on was like really like distinguishing between the two things that we do which is like the acoustic thing the folky thing and then the heavier side of what we do and really like even within a song like really hard pivoting between the two and and not trying to confuse them or like kind of almost you know mash them together in a kind of a confusing way which is probably what we did before so like on songs like hole in the ground and stuff we probably there's like the heavy sections are heavy and then the acoustic sections are really like just like we really lent into the acoustic side of that and to do that live you can't you couldn't do that on an electric guitar really so you know it was like although picking up an electric is probably would probably be easier for some some things we kind of there's something exciting and interesting about 
having the acoustic be able to do both and then writing music you know that kind of complements that so i think we're in a we're in a really good place now of just being able to hard pivot between the two sounds live and that was that was kind of one of the goals but yeah i guess like trying you know moving forward try not to set too many rules because at the end of the day it's just a good song is a good song that's it i don't think people i think we probably put too much value in that oh it's like really like people are really going to be like interested in like the fact that it's played on acoustics or like but at the end of the day if it's a good song it's a good song and like most people won't don't care what instrument it was <laughs> like do you know what i mean so which is nice it's kind of liberating to be like all right well then like, let's just yeah. do whatever we want yeah. that's great and you're like but we spent so much time deciding on these pickups yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah uh let's talk through uh the tracks there's nine tracks on mind yourself we'll start off with the opener banshee it starts with a clip from a documentary is it two kids talking about banshees why are you starting off with with that is it just something that like you, you found on you yeah. that amused yourselves yeah I'm guessing? yeah there was a banshee rock in kelly's field but no oh, it's gone now because banshees well there used to be banshees in kelly's field me and one banshee but the builders are for building houses and um soccer, soccer pitches in kelly's field so the banshees are now going down to kelly's field in my ass and well, there's loads of banshees down in um, the dump field and um, in um, Gallies as well. There's the Headless ho- Coachman and the Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman is probably fighting with a banshee and he died, died, died. two like young kids just talking yeah about, two like, young young guys from, yeah. from Moiros and Limerick talking about banshees headless coachmen headless horsemen yeah do you know I think when, when Jordan and Lango were writing that song it was it was uh, they kind of had the intro section and they had like a couple of the riffs and I think Jordan may have been like I think he had heard that clip before and I think it just came to him and he was like oh there's like this remember there's like this clip of these kids talking about banshees and then they just put it over the the, the kind of intro um, kind of ambient thing that that was there, and, and we were just like, that's that's, just, that's something amazing about that. It just like it just worked instantly, and I think the the tone of it, the fact that they're talking about banshees, and I, I think like sonically what what they're what they're talking about was quite dark and a little bit sinister and stuff, and that was it. We were like, oh, that sounds great, and like. We didn't really think about it much more than that. And then I guess like as a, as an opener to the album, I think that was a pretty easy decision. I think like pretty early on we were like, I think Banshee should just be the first song. Um, I think like opening the album with with, the, with those kids speaking, it just kind of kind of perks the ear up. You're yeah, like, what, yeah, what yeah. is this? Yeah. Like, wasn't expecting this, you know. And then just as a song, I think it kind of carries itself nicely as a, as a first track you know so one of the lines in it is hard to cast a shadow when you're lying in a box room which it seems like a reassuring song is that one of the themes of the album as well that you're almost uh, you're touching on the housing crisis one of the many crises afflicting younger Irish people and older Irish people as well I'm guessing yeah I mean it's probably it's probably a question for Lango but yeah I think it's, it's, it's kind of fun, I think it was unintentional, but like the first track on the last album was Pull Your Jocks Up, which was kind of a self-affirmation thing as well. And I think Banch, I think he took, unintentionally kind of took a similar approach um, to to that song, you know, it's kind of a self-affirmation. Um, you're the prize token, you know, and it's kind of like a uplifting. Mm. I think I think the inspiration from it was, was actually being terrified of Medusa and like Banshees under his bed oh, when he was a kid you know <laughs> does Lango write all the uh, lyrics no he, he like the, the the songs he's singing he, he writes the oh, lyrics okay. for those and then Jordo all the, all the songs Jordo sings he he writes yeah so they just yeah whatever and sometimes you know sometimes there's certain certain sections of the songs where people will maybe like it the chorus suits someone else's voice better so 
Um, just like, oh, Jordo, you, you sing that, it's kind of more in your range, but maybe Lango would have written the lyrics. But for the most part, it's Lango songs or Lango songs, and likewise for Jordo, yeah. Sounds like it'll be a big sing-along live. Is that something that you were thinking about in the studio as well? Like, what will these songs sound like live? Is it a hard thing to balance? Like, making a studio album, how they'll sound live? Yeah. I think it's always in the back of our mind anyway. Definitely. And you don't want to dwell on it too much, obviously. To the point where you're, it's just kind of, you're now stumped. And, you know, that can happen. And, and, and it did happen. But I think for us, it, I think that's an important thing for us is how it's gonna, in, how it's gonna, how crowds are gonna react to it, how is it gonna feel live, um, and yeah, Banshee, it's probably like one of one of my favorite songs in the album, and I think the first time I heard it back in the studio, kind of like in context, and we kind of just blared it out in the control room, and I was singing along to it, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, like yeah, I can't wait to, to. Um, yeah, I hope I hope people do sing along to it when it's actually not in the set <laughs> at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not actually in the set. It's it's a tricky one. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, that's one of those uh, you didn't you didn't find the right balance sort of a thing, is it? Between yeah, how to play it well, live in the studio. I don't know what it is, man. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we're overthinking it a little bit. Yeah. I don't think it sounds bad, but I think when we were, yeah, I think it's just we when we were you know rehearsing the songs off the album that just it just never quite came together it wasn't quite coming together but it will it will eventually yeah sing-alongs are you know more the merrier for us Bastard, I presume, is going to be one of the highlights in your live set. That's one that you did on the Late Late Show last week. How did you find that experience? What? How interesting that like you're on the Late Late Show in the first place, and uh, that this was the song that you did. I didn't think that you'd be allowed to do this on RT. No, I know. And actually, we, I, I think we were. There was talk of doing the Late Late a couple of years ago, and they were like, <laughs> and I was kind of like, all right, well, like. I'm, I was surprised too, but I mean, fair play to them. Yeah, you know, new host, like, new new ethos. Totally, it's, <laughs> it's, it was it was it was actually a really fun day. You're, we were in there from about two o'clock, so it was good crack, you know. And it's all very seamless. Like they they um, you know usually the way they do it is like you're like record your take, and then you'll like they'll just play that back live, and you just sing, you sing live over that in the moment. So. But we got it. We had a chance to pre-record a live take and mix it, and and then you sing live over it on the night. So we were a little bit like initially we were like, oh god, like what's that going to be like? But they gave us full control over it, um, which was the most important thing. And then like on the day, it was just go crack. It was like just blaring it into your ears, and you were like jamming along, and and then just singing live on the night. But yeah, it was good crack, and you know, it was all the, the parents were there, and that was that was kind of. That's kind of the, the most important, that was the most more important thing for us was that they were, they they got to go and have, have, have a buzz, you know, so, but it was great, yeah, it's a good crack. The song itself, uh, like, really, really funny song. I'm guessing that it comes from, like, a specific incident or is mm. it just, like, a series of specific people from your gigs over the years that you're, that's being sung about? Yeah, it was our manager's stag in Brussels last summer. <laughs> It was uh, <laughs> me and Lango went, and I'd say we knew like one or two of the sixteen lads that were on it. 
So we were kind of going in and we were like, all right, we'll see how this goes, you know, like, and, and um, they, like, we all, we just ended up getting on so well with all of them. Um, it was just like, it was a really good crew, but, but two of the lads in particular um, is what the song's about. Uh, and maybe one of, one of the lads in particular. Um, and it was oh, just, okay. So it's not like about hecklers. No, no. Oh, it's, it's, okay. actually, it's actually about, it's like, it's about uh, two of Amos mates. And uh, <laughs> just kind of like, the, just, just the way they were, just, they were two legends. Like me and Lango, just like, we just fell in love with them that weekend. They were just so much crack. And, uh, and one of the won't stop singing Champagne yeah, Supernova. Yeah, yeah. He was like, <laughs> just, just, just going around the whole weekend singing Champagne Supernova. And then, you know, I was like, he'd just be like, Hussy, sing us a song. And he'd sing us a song, Hussy. Like he just, they were just so gas. And uh, it kind of, I don't know, like I remember come, we came away from that and, and, me and it kind of just like left a bit of an impression on me and Lango. And Lango just, he ended, just went away and just wrote a whole song around these two guys um but yeah it was it's actual events from from our manager stag <laughs> i got a bone to pick with you you're like the bone left in the stew how many times have i told you you're not a jester just a fool but not a smoke since you kind of a two-part song kind of hard and fast the first part kind of slow and acoustic in the second part do you want to talk about what that song is about it seems like it's kind of about drinking my partner keeps asking me who it's about because I'm obviously giving out about someone but it's not about anyone and I, and I mean that do you know what I mean because if I wrote a song about somebody and I was giving out I probably would say it's about nobody as well but it actually isn't about anybody I think Lango writes loads of songs giving out and I, I, I was kind of inspired. I was just like, I'm gonna, I want to try that, see if I can give out as well. So that's it's that's what it's about. I suppose that's not what it, that's not what it's about. But if you listen to it, it, it that's the that's the tone of it. It's just complaining. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then it is also about dying and and like, I suppose an awareness of mortality and uh, how long you have left. And then it, and then yeah, and there's themes of drinking drinking there as well. It's one of the themes that you had on the first album as well, like isn't it? Is is it something that you kind of go back to that you think about? The drink or the yeah. or, or death? Uh drinking. They're, yeah. your, they're your two go tos, aren't they? Yeah, they, like yeah, the good yeah. and the, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. I suppose of drinking. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose a lot of the time writing songs, you'd be hungover and stuff, like and and just lots of drinking in general in in the lifestyle that I was living anyway. So with that comes a lot of dread. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think that's what it is. I, I, it's something I thought about a lot. I don't drink anymore, but when I was drinking, I was I was always aware that I was like, if I keep doing this, it's going to kill me. Do you know what I mean? So I guess I guess that's why those two teams pop up a lot. And because you're writing songs from that hungover place as well, it just finds it's, it's like, it's really, it's, it's really not very deep. It's just like how you're feeling in that yeah. exact moment. Do you know what I mean? How long have you been off the drink? Uh, since April. Since wow, April, so not 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 too long, but of I'm feeling good anyway. It's, I'm feeling cl- clarity of mind is nice and less anxiety. So we'll see what the next group of songs are like. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about something else. <laughs> uh, Trom one, the harrowing song. First of two parts on the album Trom one and Trom two. Tell me about uh, this song. What does the what does the title mean? First of all, Trom one. Trom. So the the two those two songs were inspired kind of a by a band the sound of it anyway were inspired by a band from California called Elder and um, they're kind of like a stoner rock proggy kind of psychedelic that doesn't really describe them very well but does it? 
they're kind of but they're but they're also way more than that like they're not just in that stoner vein they're unbelievable they're they're actually i think they're doing very well now and they just announced uh they're supporting tour around america north america and or they're supporting tool around their north american tour and they're doing really well but uh we're big fans of them and we had songs that were inspired by them and their working titles were elder one and two and then our manager was like is that a little bit on the nose do you think we could like and we were kind of like, ah, no, it's great. Like, you know, it's nice to wear your influences on your sleeve kind of thing. And then I was out for a walk and I just came down in, in Kill Village and I saw there was a, a lot of like wild, what you call it? Like wildflowers and, and do you know those areas that are just allowed to kind of grow? Was it was it called Elderflower? Did you, no, I might. So there's an elder bush. Anyway, it's one of those areas where rewilding. it's, it's, it's rewilding kind of thing and there's all signs up to tell you what the different local uh, trees and stuff are. And one of them was an elder bush or an elder tree. And the Irish word for that is trom. And, but the word trom, I was out with my partner, she's an Irish teacher, and she was telling me the word trom also means heavy. And I think I just think that's ding nice. Ding. Yeah, so I said it to the lads, and we were like, what about trom one and two? And, and they were like, yeah, sounds cool. So that, that was that. It's the longest song on the album. Was it an easy one to make come together with that very heavy metal sounding riff and then the kind of the more gentler sound of it? Was it easy to, we were kind of talking about that, I guess, kind of like mixing the sounds, maybe keeping them separate. Is it the kind of the heavy sound and the the more acoustic sound? I think, I think with that tune, we just decided to, if anything, we didn't set any parameters with it, which actually made it easier and more fun. I think like we just decided, I think, Jordo, you were after kind of putting together some something proggy and then we just decided on that and we were like, right, so it'll take whatever form it takes and that was that was fun you know and then it ended up being quite a progressive song as a result and then the end song or the end of the section or the, sorry the end of the song i took a while to piece onto it but we just yeah i don't know that was that was the challenging part are we talking about trom one or yeah trom one, <laughs> yeah yeah uh wait are you talking about the the trom one or like Trum 2 as well right? uh, I was only talking about Tram 1 because it is the longest song on the album but like do you see them as responses to each other do you see them as separate songs I, I like? guess I guess in some way they are I guess mixing the heavy sound and the acoustic sound on Trum 1 the, do you know the outro just the, the song was like 4 minutes I think and it goes off on that proggy tangent and then but I think a lot of the times when we were writing the album there was moments of like and like Cola used to be entirely acoustic and there's a few songs were entirely acoustic and then you'd add in the heavy sounds and I think Tron 1 was another one where, you'd, where when we play it acoustically it sounded really nice so that's we added on this end section that was just that acoustic bass riff essentially or or no it was like an acoustic version of what Doc's playing throughout the song just in a lower register because you can really hear all the nuances in it then when it's just the acoustic sound when, it, when it's that big wall of sound we just did Tron 1 for a radio session yesterday and you can really hear all the chords and like you can really hear all the nuances and, and you can add dynamics really easily by just playing harder and stuff. So I guess that was that thinking is just like trying to bring out the best in it in both worlds, do you know? Shoes is track number five on the album, kind of sandwiched between two of the heaviest songs on the album. It's probably the quietest and the most acoustic and it seems like a bit of a, a personal one. Yeah, that was, the where it is on the album is definitely a conscious decision as well. It was kind of like, like the heaviest song comes directly after it and uh that was that's really funny to us and it's kind of like it's it's ridiculous you know it's like the, it's like the the two extreme ends of what we're trying to do right beside each other and there's no buffer in between well you walked in the rain and the earth didn't spin and the child on the street had to call himself in and I watched you all squabble for the land that was sold by a man in the gutter a father to you taken down by the bottle but sure what could he do when I know of that struggle cause I live with it too well you walked in the rain and the earth didn't spin and the child on the street had to call himself in and I watched you all squabble for the land that was sold by a man in 
the corner A father to you Taken down by the bottle But sure what could he do And I know of that struggle Cause I live with it too Well you walked in the rain And the earth didn't spin And the child on the street Had to call himself in And I watched you all squabble For the land that was sold By a man in the corner A father to you Taken down by the bottle But sure what could he do And I know of that struggle Cause I live with it too And the song itself It's actually I, I wrote that song Like two or three years ago now For a solo project And I had a demo of it Lying around And I had showed Lango And then when we were in the studio We were kind of We had written We had recorded a bunch of heavier things And a bunch of proggier things And then James Morrow, who produced it, was kind of saying, "Is there anything? Is there, any, is there anything else like like more? I don't know what we even put it. It wasn't like go for a softer thing. It was just like, is there any kind of? I guess that's yeah, a softer song. He just, just wanted to pivot, didn't he? Uh, yeah, we had done loads of the heavy, and we had really lent into it. And, and like from his encouragement as well, he was really like, let's fucking go down this metal route. But we, this was like a good bit into the album uh, recording sessions, so it was kind of like we've done loads of the heavy stuff. We know we can do that. Let's let's find something else." And uh, I was, I had lo- I had a bunch of demos on the phone, and I was kind of going through them. And then Lango was like, "What about that shoe song?" So I played the demo in the in the live room, and the lads. Sorry, I realise I'm going off on a tangent about the recording now, and not I the song itself. <laughs> sorry, but yeah, I, I, the song. It's a, yeah, but I had written the song about uh, a, a land dispute between my family and another family, and uh, I don't want to go into it too much more than that, but like. That's essentially what it's about. And then, yeah, the classic themes of drinking and death come in there as well. I think as soon as the lads heard the demo, they were like, yeah. Uh, it was a collective yes from all of us. I think you'd sent over, like, was it, this was like a good, like maybe a year or two before, but you'd sent over like two or three demos and you were like, I'm not sure, I'm, you know, I just kind of have these songs and I'm not sure if I'm going to, if I'm going to use them or not. Was that? I think it was part of those, and so like we kind of all heard these like couple of songs back then, and it was like it was very different. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm just I'm so glad it got on there because like, yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I don't think it would have if it wasn't for the lads' encouragement and James's encouragement. You know, it was kind of like it definitely didn't make sense to me to put that song on the album at the time, but I'm glad it got on there. Yeah, Blackguard is one of the singles off the album influenced by System of Down's D Devil. Was it a hard one to pull together? Again, it sounds like it's gonna be great live. Yeah, that one took a while because it it took on a, a number of different forms before it ended up being what it is now. Um like the main riff that's featured throughout the song, like was actually like a later edition. And it just be, it, it ended up becoming the centerpiece of like this version of the song. But like, yeah, there, there was very different versions of that song first, I think. But it, the, the idea started just around wanting to write a really heavy tune and just tuning the guitars to drop A was a novelty that, we, yeah, we just were very excited by that. Yeah, we just kept like, like we, that, that song was worked on over the course, I'd say, like maybe a year, year or two. And then we showed a, a version of it to the lads and they were buzzing off it and then so we put the music down like a musical like a like a yeah musical bedrock down but we didn't have any vocals for a while like we were throwing a few different ideas at it um over the course of the different studio sessions for a while before we ended up on the uh on the version that we we ended up with but i think the the inspiration came from Jordo suggesting that we do something along the same vein as d devil by system of a down and once i heard that i was like I think I have an idea. And then I ran in, recorded the vocals, and the lads were like, yeah, let's run with that. And then the chorus took f- ages as well. We we were trying loads of different chorus ideas. And then I was talking to the lads about, you know, the inspiration behind the lyrics to kind of, I don't know, just maybe like a jump off point. And Jordo said, what if we just say, we'll dance? What, what's, what is the chorus? Well, you, say, you said, you were talking about... I don't. You you didn't put the line in as a lyric, but you were saying you said you said the rest of us will dance off into the sunset anyway. That's the closing line on the on the song. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and it's the chorus line, and uh, 
Yeah, you just caught it and you're like, you, you said it about, yeah, you are saying it about, I don't know, like fucking, I guess the song is a, touches on like begrudgery and stuff, so it's like saying that to the begrudgers, you know, just we're gonna fucking do what we want anyway, don't, don't care about you, like, and I like that. And then, and then instead of like, because it's obviously a heavy part of the song, instead of going for the screaming thing, it was just like, let's take it way back. And do the opposite of what you might think, you know. So mm. I think and that's there's loads of shouting. Then in the middle, is that just all of you in the studio just shouting <laughs> yeah, something? Yeah. It's almost. In, I, I was trying to hear what you were saying. Is it? Did is you it make? Did you make anything out? I couldn't make it out. No, maybe I'm not listening close enough. There's a, no. Well, we were there when it was recorded, so I guess we have the upper hand there. But like, we did that on "Sig in the Breeze," which is a song off the whole buzz. We just spoke a lot of nonsense into the mic, and then did it again, and did it again, and just layered them all up just to create that kind of like, like almost like voices in your head going 90 kind of thing and uh I, I we all chose different things on second the breeze i remember just talking about like cup of tea and how many sugars i take and milk and stuff <laughs> and then lango would just like take out wikipedia and just like what did you what were you talking about this time you were talking about like in terms of endearment yeah there was a uh, what was i think i was reading out wikipedia results for the word cunt maybe or something like that and like yeah so I was yeah just, you like, talk about false linguists and, and there's <laughs> There is some funny stuff in there. It's very, but yeah, it just becomes chaos and you can't make out. But yeah, because it makes yeah, because it is a term of endearment, so it makes sense that I yeah, I feel like that was one of the things that I I uh, Wikipedia anyway. <laughs> that's that's a word that you feel uh, close to in the scratch, is it? <laughs> I guess just uh, Ireland itself yeah, feels very yeah. close to the word cunt. I feel like we we find ourselves defending the word cunt quite a bit, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Ireland and Australians use the word cunt great. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, th- I think it's it's a it is a term of endearment. The Yanks, it's 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 a bad thing to say in America. Very bad thing to Heard say in America. That, yeah, but yeah. here it is like ah, you you fucking you're gas you, I, like I call yeah, you gas cunt or I call the lads gorgeous cunts all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like <laughs> it is a term of endearment. So. Too. Is there anything else we need to say? Do you think that we covered that already? Uh, anything else you want to say about the song? Yeah, I mean, it the, it was wind. actually centered around an idea that Pete's our old bass player brought into the into the practice room one day. That bass line that you hear featured on the song—that's what the whole song is written around musically, anyway. And the lyrics are just uh, a stream of consciousness exercise that I, I, I was—I was just on my notes while the lads were figuring out the music, and I was just putting one word after another yeah. just to like see what experiment. would come out yeah and, and that's what the lyrics ended up being Cold Eye the eighth penultimate track uh, got a great twin guitar breakdown middle eight here reminds me of uh, Thin Lizzy are they one of the influences like inherent in the band one one of the bands that you uh, go back to yeah lots of Lizzy lots of Lizzy uh, references on the album is there well, yeah, like guitar-wise, and then even in Cold, I talk about the old town and stuff, which is a Lizzie re- reference. And there, yeah, it's 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 a we're, we're big Lizzie fans. Me and Lango did the vibe for Philo a couple of times and and, and played a bunch of Lizzie songs. Yeah, huge honor for us. Yeah, it was yeah. fucking amazing. And like met Smiley and and Philomena and stuff, and she saw her set and rest in peace, Philomena. But uh, yeah, we, so we're big fans. And then and cheeky bastard and everything. It's all very Lizzie-inspired stuff. Um, and and funnily enough as well, Baroness, when they put out Purple, they did the same thing. They re- referenced Lizzie so much. After they had their bus crash, they put out that album Purple. I think it's my favorite Baroness album anyway. And there's lots of Lizzie references, and, and it almost references Baroness referencing Lizzie. So there's a few layers to it uh, with the phasey guitar and the leads and stuff like that. But uh, definitely love Tin Lizzie. Yeah. Uh, where do you see yourselves in the Irish music scene? I guess it's not something that you're talking about that much, but do you see yourselves like aligned to the likes of Mary Wallopers and Lancome? Do you see yourselves more aligned to the heavier kind of acts? 
is it is it something that you think about like are we are we a folky trad band like mary wallopers or are we a heavier band like it's not something um we're ever thinking of it's we're often lumped in with a lot of bands like Lancome and Mary Wallopers, which is which is flattering like because uh we've a lot of respect for those bands and um their class but I don't I, I think I don't think we feel like we're aligned with them or in the in the same I don't feel like yeah I don't feel like we're in the what am I trying to say I, I mean, you, you don't, want don't to be feel pigeon, like you yeah, don't want to be pigeonholed. Like, yeah, we're, di- we're, we're I think we're different. We're di- yeah. We are different from those bands, and like I fucking love Lancome to bits, and the Mary Wallopers are smashing it. Um, I would say it's something I do think about a little bit, yeah. Um, but not think about it in the way where I want to be in that same camp. I think it's I, almost wanting to try and separate yeah. yourself, and and kind of we come from. Uh, we come from the metal world that's what we know we don't know the folk thing like those lads do like those people do they're amazing traditional players and you know you can go to a session and hear them sing songs and and then they're fantastic in that world and then they've applied this other thing to it and i think we're kind of going the other way it's like we're we're kind of started off playing metal and then got into folk music and they're kind of trying to bring that into it it we're metalheads and we came from a metal background they came up in the Irish traditional music scene. So I think we're always just going to feel different in that sense. We're, we're like we're yeah. not from the same worlds as such. And I think, but then I think, I think they also, like I think Langham did would have played punk music. And I don't know what the Mary Wallopers were doing before. I feel like I would have talked to them. I remember they, when they, they did like, TPM, they did like the rap. They did thing. rap and stuff. And I, I think they were f- relatively new to folk music. When I remember when they supported us years ago and we first met them. I was telling them like, oh, I'm kind of just getting into this folk thing and stuff. And we were doing like Kunla at the time, and uh, I thought they were great because they had all these songs and tunes, and they were so funny. Like, um, and they were. I remember them kind of saying, yeah, it's relatively new for us as well. So, I, yeah, it's it's great to be lumped in with those bands. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I I guess I'm interested in like what the response is to like internationally because you're playing like all all Langham, Mary Wallabers, and you guys. You know, just to pick three bands are playing the UK, US wherever and like do they kind of lump you all in in together or do they see more i mean like i know the esport it was a was a flag molly yeah some, yeah like do they see in that kind of a vein almost more so than probably that yeah i'd say flag and molly dropkick murphy's that kind of thing and i think again we're very different from that but it, it's probably the more that's probably a world that we'd we'd probably carve a path in that world quicker than we would the folkier thing you know, we play a lot of metal festivals and stuff like that. We get booked for a lot of metal festivals, and yeah, I, I, I saw spo- that you're playing Rock Amring, Rock Imring. Yeah, next summer in, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I suppose I suppose what you're getting into really is like genres and subgenres. Yeah, and that's always a weird thing because like you can't. It's not def- a definitive line. Everything kind of has. It's like a Venn diagram, you know. It's, everything kind of spills over into the other thing, and it's hard to know what we get looked at, or what 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 the perception of us of us is abroad. But uh, playing the metal festivals and stuff has been great. It's really helped us to fucking hone the the sound and the rigs and stuff because you're playing up against like metal bands that sound so good and they have they've been playing metal for years and it's all heavy music and they sound amazing. So you're kind of going fuck. We need to sound really good if we're going to be playing on these bills, you know. So it's good. It's like it's like you know when you're when you surround yourself with that or when you become surrounded with that, you have to improve. Was it good touring with Flag and Molly? Was it good like seeing them every night and? Well, we actually we actually just did one gig with them in in uh, Scotland. Oh, sorry, I thought you were supporting them over the summer. Dropkicks. We, oh, Dropkicks. Dropkicks. Sorry, we sorry. Su- we supported. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, they're they're fucking legends. They kind of took us under their wing, and they were very sound to us. And Genuine people. Yeah. Very been nice touring for years, and like all have kind of families and stuff, and they take it easy. So it's like it's nice seeing a band that's like been successfully touring for a long time, and they're not burnt out. And they tour a lot. Like on this tour we were doing with them, we had days off in between, and they didn't. It was, it was like they didn't know what to do with themselves. They were like, "We're used, to, we're used to like six shows a week." Yeah, uh, so it's inspiring to see people that are looking after themselves and doing it right. And then there's no egos and there's no fucking bullshit. Like they were, their crew helped us if we were if if their sound check went over and we had less time. It was very, it was it was really nice. 
and you're repaying the favor as well you've got some great irish acts lined up for year uh uk tour i think next year ishbini naharan are one i interviewed them uh around the time of their album last year and they were saying nice things about you if you want the floor to say nice things or maybe <laughs> otherwise about ishbini naharan dirty wankers we love yous <laughs> they were just a group you know like every so often you'll like come across a band or just even a group of people that you click with just instantly get on with and and they were they were very much that i think we got you introduced us to them you know jordo would have been playing the cobblestone sessions and tomas and the whole family around that you know the cobblestone and then we me and lango would drop in the odd time and we just kind of met the lads and and then we were obviously aware of their meme page and you know it's like it's so good even before we saw them play um but yeah just just hit it off hit it off with them like straight away and we brought them on uh we brought them on our last uk tour as well um a couple of gigs anyway and it was just great it was just great crack it just you know there was a there was a moment on the last uk tour where they were playing with us in brighton and i think it was the last gig of the tour and lango turned to me and said this is the best thing you've ever done because <laughs> I, I put them forward for support and I was like I didn't know how to take it but I was like I think that's a good thing but yeah they're just they bring such crack everywhere they go and they arrive late to every sound check and it's brilliant it's so it's so funny like you know what I mean and they're the only lads who can get away with that because they're just all sweethearts do you know what I mean they're they're they are just a ball of energy and you have to just roll with it like you know it's great and finally the last song on the album track nine is pocket full of roses only nine songs on the album but it's still like over 50 minutes long did you have more songs that you could have fitted on the album if you wanted there were actually a, a, a couple of other tunes knocking around like unfinished but i think when we we got to a point where we realized how long the album was was turning out to be and it just felt <laughs> like ah, this is this this is enough this is enough music for this release <laughs> And then I think, you know, we started thinking about, like, uh, just the more practical issues that come with a longer album, like vinyl. We wanted to put it out on vinyl. And so you're working with a, you know, a time constraint there. So that definitely influenced it. But it just felt like it was, that was it. You know, it was done. We didn't have a, a, a solidified track listing, but the working track listing that we had at the time, yeah, it just, it, it, when we looked at it, it, it shaped up to be a nice, complete album. So we just ran with it. We yeah. spent, all, spent all our money as well. <laughs> spent all our money as well. <laughs> Too many studio sessions. Uh, yeah, lyrically, it does seem like it kind of comes full circle. You sing, I'm getting sick strong, haven't got the courage left to carry on, which just makes you think of the album title, Mind Yourself. So it is that kind of like full circle yeah. moment. it did feel like it was going to be the last song even before we actually said it uh, it just had that uh, vibe to it I don't think it was fr from the lyrical standpoint just musically it just felt like oh, this is a nice way to wrap up the the album but uh, you're right that's a very good observation fair play to you <laughs> <laughs> um, are you happy with how, how the album sounds are you happy with uh, the finished product yeah I mean I think when you when you it's definitely the best sounding thing we've ever done I would say but it's funny because you're just you can never be happy because you're always every time you go through a process of recording something you learn all the things you want to do next time so it's like no matter how happy you are with the product you get you're always looking forward and that's kind of just the nature of this stuff but yeah it sounds fucking brilliant and it's the lads smashed it two james has smashed it it had ex everything we wanted going into it we wanted it to sound natural we wanted it to sound like us we wanted to record live we did all those things and accomplished them so i would say we're happy while also going Let's fucking do something unbelievable again on the next one, you know? Yeah, I I was feeling very much like that until Friday because me and Jordan have been talking about music a lot since the album and the excitement around the things that we've learned and buzzing to go in and do the... Also, combine that with 
the amount of times we've listened to this album to get the mix right you get to a point where like it doesn't matter how good it is you're just you think it's a, you, you do get to that place after a mixing session where you think it's not probably not that great is it like it's, it's, it's you know you start to yeah. hate it and so I, I hadn't listened to it for months but on the day we released it which was last friday yeah last friday um myself and Cahill sat in here and we listened to the vinyl uh, and just had a can or two and i really enjoyed it it it, it really yeah I, I i came out of that going oh, i'm i am proud of this this is great this is a this is a this is fucking decent like um so yeah i i, I would have before that i would have been like ah yeah it's grand like, you know i think it's good uh, but now i'm like nah that this is this is a good album um and i'm proud of it great cool let's leave it there thanks a lot for chatting cheers man thanks a lot thanks for having us Thank you.